since cancer doesn't stop growing, it's not like we could just take a vacation from our research for a couple of months. So what people are doing is they're doing virtual labs. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and today my guest is Dr. Peter Shields. Peter is the Deputy Director of the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, and Peter is also a lung cancer specialist and one of the world's leading researchers on the tobacco cancer connection and the impact of e-cigarettes. Today's podcast is all about cancer research and how in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and lockdown, the Comprehensive Cancer Center's large and incredible team of scientists and researchers and physicians techs are all carrying on their important life-saving work safely. And we'll also talk about a $1 million fundraising drive from Pelotonia to research the COVID-19 cancer connection. Welcome back to the podcast, Peter. Thank you. Peter, we're in the midst of a very unprecedented new reality. Physical distance is the new normal, and we're all trying to figure out how to handle this. So walk us through the early days of COVID-19 about a month ago and how the Comprehensive Cancer Center reacted initially and adapted and how you're continuing to adapt and and do all this great research. So I'd like to start off by just noting the amount of work and preparation that um, we have done earlier compared to many other parts of the nation. And I think we're seeing some of the benefits today with a very um, slow rise and lower than expected rise in the number of COVID-19 patients. When you, when you say we, you mean the state of Ohio? We, the state of Ohio, and bringing it down to the Wexner Medical Center and right. the James Cancer Center, um, our researchers, we took this uh, pretty seriously um, as early as going back to remember that the Arnold here in, in Columbus was canceled over a month ago. Imagine if that had not been, and you would have had 200 participants interacting over several days. It could have been a nightmare. Yeah, coming in from all over the country and the world. Right. So you think about, um, the, you know, we could have very well been one of the epicenters like New York had that had happened. So I give a lot of credit to the organizers of that meeting, as well as the state officials and public health folks to have made that decision. Um, I think at that time we were all like, OK, we know we're taking this seriously, but we need to speed up our planning. And doing that for the Comprehensive Cancer Center meant planning and then acting on your plans in many different ways. So we had to think about the clinical enterprise and cancer patients being among the susceptible groups to COVID-19 and its devastating effects. So we had to modify and protect our existing patients as well as planning to handle those who are going to be infected. And then lockstep with that, of course, is protecting the staff who interact clinically. So that's just on a pure clinical side. Then for a research side, we had multi-levels to think about. So we do a lot of clinical trials. And we had to start thinking about what does that mean for a patient to be on a clinical trial? Well, what that means is more face time than ordinary standard of care. means more visits to campus, longer visits to campus, complicating things like visits to campus for things that we might be able to do if they didn't come to campus through for example, video conferencing with the patient or shipping them pills rather than 
having them come in to pick up their pills. Uh, we had to evaluate the research for them to, you know, if, if they needed as many blood draws as we were doing. So the idea was to think about our clinical research for one, what's essential. Essential means, and this is a key word that I'll come back to multiple times, the word essential, uh, is essential to the person's immediate life. So if we have a drug that could make a difference for someone and have them survive versus not, that's an obvious essential. But then you come down and there are trials where we're comparing two known regimens where we expect them to be pretty equivalent, but maybe one will be a little bit better than the other. That's not essential. And so we had to go through all our clinical trials and decide which ones would accrue new patients and which ones wouldn't. And what we do right now is actually evaluate on a patient-by-patient basis whether they should go on a trial. Then for each of those trials, we had to look at the procedures and the FaceTime. What can be done that used to be done in the clinic, that can be done now by telephone or video. Maybe we don't really need that blood. That blood was important for knowing better about how the drug works, but it wasn't for a safety assessment. So then we would uh, say if it's not essential in a safety assessment, maybe we can eliminate that. And so there was substantial planning and discussion on, on how do we define essential research. The goal was to keep the patients away from the medical center as much as possible and reduce their risk of getting infected by being on, on our presence and also reduce the exposure to our staff from these patients. And so there was really a safety-focused uh, process. Um, that was transparent, lots of discussion, lots of input by good people. And as we were implementing that, we were learning a lot. And we still do. And so that's the clinical trials. But we also have a lot of other research, let's say our smoking cessation studies. Before before you go into that, I'm just curious, when you talk about having to go back and look at every clinical trial patient and reassess how you're going to work with them, how many patients are you talking about? I'm not going to give you even an approximate number. It is hundreds or more. But in some cases, what we did is really not go back and assess each individual patient, but each individual trial. So the principal investigators would look at the procedures for that trial and then decide what is less essential, um, not needed, notify the clinical trials office as well as the institutional review board that does the ethics review. And so all the patients on a trial would now be adjusted that way. So the, the third aspect of the research is the laboratory research. So there we designated essential people who would come in to maintain critical infrastructure, protecting what really is intellectual property, all of our samples and cell cultures and and things like that. And then we also have COVID-19 research. And we had to put in a fairly transparent and rapid method to approve COVID-19 research that, again, has to be essential and has to have an immediate impact. So if an investigator who's a basic scientist wants to understand how COVID-19 affects lymphocytes or causes lung toxicity, that's important stuff, but it's unlikely that research is going to yield something that's going to make a difference in the next few months during the crisis period. But then there's other COVID-19 research, like coming up with a rapid test, where they need to do some laboratory work for preclinical data to determine how much of a drug to give a patient. So something that would have immediate impact 
over the next few months to make a difference during this crisis would get approved. The other stuff really has to wait. And so we also have to go through, you know, there's some really neat ideas at OSU uh, for clinical trials and some that were participating in national trials. So we have to sort of prioritize those and figure out how to get those up and running. And so if you have laboratory work that needs to support those clinical trials, you are allowed with approval. But our goal is to have our investigators work together to, for us to help prioritize which ones need to go through and which ones shouldn't. And everyone pretty much understands what's the difference between essential and non-essential research. And so the essential research is going, going on. So there are multiple levels of, um, of uh, directives and policy guidelines. If you're coming into the lab, how do you do that? How do we know? How do we say, okay, um, what to do about shared equipment and shared resources? So all of those had to have a prioritization scheme. Now, that goal was really to, to really minimize and, and, and soften the surge. Uh, the other part of it is we have in our laboratories a lot of protective medical gear, the personal protective equipment. We have sterile gloves and regular gloves and, and masks and, uh, and bleach. So we went through the labs also and donated all that stuff to the hospital. And so that was another uh, level of um, uh, coordination that we had to do. So it was fairly complex. And then you can imagine what do all these folks do since cancer doesn't stop growing. It's not like we could just take a vacation from our research for a couple of months. So what people are doing is they're doing virtual labs. There's a lot of uh, work to be done. We're, we're, you know, we're big data scientists. So there's a lot of research that could be done at home using big data and an analysis. It could be writing those papers. It could be writing those grants. It could be reading other people's papers really closely and reaching out to those people to develop new collaborations or identify new technologies. So we really expect this time to be an intellectual growth curve while people are at home and just learning to work together in different ways. All right. That, that's a, a, a great point. I hadn't thought of that. And this is also a good time to take a break. So we'll be right back with Peter and we'll talk a little bit more about how the Comprehensive Cancer Center is continuing its research. And we'll take a look at the $1 million Pelotonia fundraising drive and what that hopes to accomplish. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Peter Shields, the Deputy Director of the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center. And let's, Peter, let's talk a little bit. I've heard about, I've read about this $1 million fundraising drive from Pelotonia that's connected to COVID-19 cancer research. And I'm very curious what this is all about. Well, so Pelotonia is an amazing organization. They're trying to figure out how to continue uh, their fundraising efforts for the James. As I mentioned earlier, cancer doesn't stop growing, and we'll have uh, just as much 
relevance, if not more, as the uh, year goes by. So they're trying to think creatively both about how to continue to raise funds, but also directly to contribute to the community. So they're doing things like working with other cancer organizations to get messages out. They're helping, uh, they emptied their warehouses for the Purell cleaner that they give out every year to the, to the, to the bike uh, event. They are loaning tents to the National Guard for the food program. So they're doing what they can. But the other thing that they are doing is helping to raise money specifically related to COVID-19 and cancer research. So our ideas are many. It's gotta be essential as I mentioned before, but we have researchers who are developing rapid testing. We all know that there's not enough testing in this country yet. We have clinical trials that are either started or about to start. So there's a number of different ways that we uh, can um, support this research and you still have to have money to support uh, research. So that's an important part of uh, the way that Pelotonia is contributing to the community right now. But I will tell you that cancer research is likely to look differently. So one of the things we learned is these major scientific meetings have been canceled, they've gone virtual. So rather yeah. than me going to New Orleans and speaking to a thousand people, telling about my latest research, they're now done by webinars. And what's happened is that it's not been a thousand people participating, but 1,500 or 2,000 people participating. So they're gonna be so much more open. We're learning better. You know, the new, the new verb is to Zoom. Okay, <laughs> we're, all, we're all learning how to Zoom. That's and how we're doing this podcast. That's right. And so that's gonna change that face-to-face -face interactions in the future, um, how you communicate. So, so we do a town hall every week to update the cancer researchers. Each week it's gone up in numbers. The last time was 270 something last Wednesday. We had a limit of 300 people by, you know, set by Zoom and we had to upgrade our account so that it could be 500 people. And so we're all gonna learn how to do research differently. At the end of the day, you can't replace human clinical trials. You can't replace wet lab research, meaning going into a laboratory and, and working at the bench. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that we might learn to do more flexibly or efficiently or with different technologies. Yeah, I think this has forced us to learn how to use technology more efficiently. And I think clinically, um, we're doing a lot of telehealth now. And so I think when this is over and we say to a patient, okay, here's your appointment next Wednesday, they're going to say, well, why do I have to drive in? I hate driving in Columbus which a lot of people right. say. Uh, so why can't we just do this by video? And we may not have a reason for that. Um, we may say, yes, video health is perfectly appropriate. And so I think a lot of medicine, medical research is gonna look very different uh, in a couple of years. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think you're, you're very accurate on that. And another thing, the phrase that everyone's talking about is social distancing. But I noticed in your email and in, in talking to you, you don't like that phrase at all. So tell me why and what you've replaced it with. So I think it was unfortu an unfortunate phrase. Uh, I think it's physical distancing, not social distancing. Right. And so... There's a lot of things that we have to do to think about that as we are in isolation um, and, and at home and in quarantine and, and that sort of thing. And we have people who, like the general population, are more introverted. 
are more quiet. And so this could be a more difficult time for them. I think for people who are more outgoing, this is also a very difficult time. In fact, this you'd be you'd be hard put to find someone where this is not difficult. So so the question is how do we do social connectedness? And in my own personal habits now, rather than having phone calls with family or or, or friends or collaborators, uh, we're just sending them a Zoom link and just doing it face to face. It just um, uh, I think everybody is under stress for so many different reasons. I know that. Uh, in the cancer center, in the last few weeks, the workload has increased substantially for obvious reasons, but also the intensity and the urgency. So when an issue comes up about masks in the lab and who wears them and who doesn't, or in the hospital, it's like you have to decide that day. You got to figure out the best practices across the country. You got to do your research. You got to talk to people to get their feedback, both the, the leadership as well as the uh, folks with the boots on the ground. And so the urgency of, of coming up, there, with policies, there was, you know, some days and weeks where every day we would put out a new guidance on something. And so uh, it's been stressful for everyone. So I think it's important that we all maintain that sort of social distancing. And to the extent you can, you know, maybe it's a time to also improve relationships. Right. To call people you haven't called, to connect with parents, siblings, relatives, friends. Yeah. I wish, you know, I could do it as much as I would like, but there's, I've seen great recommendations about um, picking up the phone or doing a Zoom to someone you haven't talked to in a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, doing your connectedness in, in many ways. I've been on the, on Zoom with, with family across the country and we play games online. Um, uh, for Passover, we're Jewish. We did a couple of virtual seders where people were in their own homes. I think a lot of religious organizations are getting very clever as well on, yeah, on how to do that. So people are getting clever. And I think that's also going to be another benefit long term on how we connect. But I think that social connectedness is really important. Yeah, I think we've gotten away from that in the past few years. And maybe this is going to be a reminder of why we need each other so much. So we have a clinical trials network among the Big Ten football um, uh, colleges, universities. And so we would have a monthly conference call. This time, for the first time, it was Zoom. And it was like, oh, that's what you look like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and to see people's backgrounds, it's a little chance for their personality to come out. I have all sorts of backgrounds that I like to play with. One of the ones that I'm fond with is that came from the university is it looks like you're in a regular room, except Brutus pops up in the window every now and then. Okay. Right. Because on Zoom, you can put up different backgrounds. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a way of expressing your personality. So good. So you've been able to find ways to connect with people and, and have given us some good tips for how others can connect. So, so thanks for sharing that. And thanks for to you and everyone at the Comprehensive Cancer Center for continuing to do this important work. Well, thank you for having me uh, on the show. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.